Well, let's read through our text for this morning, Psalm 150. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, all your creation joins in praise. We've heard that. Hear us now as we ask you to help us as we think about this psalm that it might instruct us and lead us to that very point where we join in praise as well. We pray it for Jesus' sake. Amen. I'd be surprised if anyone listening didn't know the song, a pet hate of mine. It's called The Hokey Pokey. You know it. You probably wish you didn't know it, but you know it. It has lines in it like this, in case you've forgotten. You put your right arm in, you put your right arm out. You put your right arm in and you shake it all about. Thankfully, I'm not in a position of having to do it much these days. But if I was, well, you'd find me stuck to my seat. And while that's my view, I do get it that many other people see it differently. At the very least, let's agree then that the actions to the song are very easy to learn and to do. All you have to do is follow the instructions. Put an arm or leg in, shake it around and turn in a circle. That's what it's all about. It would be great if everything was that simple, but as we know, there are so many aspects to life on earth here that are so much more complex. And this is true even when it comes to the subject of praising God. This morning, we're parking ourselves beside our next psalm in this series, Psalm 150. As you'll probably know already, Psalm 150 is the last of the psalms, and the last of the fifth book of the psalms, which starts with Psalm 107 and ends with 150. You may not know that the first book of the psalms all end with a psalm that contains elements of praise to God. But the fifth book of the psalm ends with a whole psalm that consists of praise to God and calls to praise God. Psalm 150 to the Psalter is what the crescendo is to a great symphony. Even though it has for its content many of the conventional calls to praise that you might find scattered throughout the book of the Psalms. Like the four Psalms before it, it has an opening command to praise and what comes in between in a fairly direct style are directions on who must praise God, where God should be praised, how we should praise God and finishes with a call again to praise God. Let's look at that in some more detail. First, the psalm introduces us to the where and the why of praising God. Well, the where is fairly obvious. Where is God to be praised? Well, below and above, on earth and in the heavens, in the earthly sanctuary, by his pilgrim people here in the heavenly sanctuary with the church triumphant, and the elders and the living creatures, we are all to praise him. He is to be praised everywhere. In heaven above, on earth below, all creatures here below, above all ye heavenly host. God is to be praised everywhere. 
That's something for us to always think about. Matthew Henry once wrote, We should never begin a work without prayer, and we should never end it without thanksgiving and praise. Why? Because God is to be praised everywhere. And Henry goes on to observe that because of that principle, that we should never begin work without prayer and never end it without praise, that is one reason why Christians are so concerned to end their lives in praise. Just as the Psalms begin by pointing us to the Word and leading us in prayer, so it ends in praise. How do you ready yourself for glory? In praising God. There's the first thing I want you to see. Where is it that we praise God? Everywhere. While verse 1 notes that God is to be obviously the object of our worship, the first few verses are brimful with reasons why we should worship him. The first reason is because of who God is. The psalmist tells us to praise the Lord. The letters in my Bible are all in capitals. This is the name of the Lord. The one who is in Hebrew, El. God, the Mighty One, the Strong One, the Ruler and Leader of His people. The One who revealed Himself to Moses in Exodus 34 as the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love. The One who has always been there for His people. The One who is Yahweh, who has life within Himself. He is to be praised in the sphere of the sanctuary. The whole concept behind that word sanctuary doesn't refer in any way to this building we might meet in or any other on the face of this earth, but reminds us that God is one who is set apart. Every time the people of Israel wanted to approach God, they had to do it through a sacrifice and through a priest. They would put their hand on a ram, a goat, a sheep or a bull and slit the throat. And the priest would take the blood of their sacrifice and sprinkle it on the altar. The people of God were ingrained with every sacrifice that God was and is holy and could not be approached by sinful people unless they first were cleansed. The Psalms ask them, the Psalms themselves ask that key question. Who can ascend the hill of the Lord? Who can stand in his holy place? Only he who has clean hands and a pure heart. This is a key concept to our understanding of praising God. If we come thinking to ourselves, I'll throw God a two-dollar coin or sing one of the songs, he'll be happy with me. We haven't got it anywhere near right. Worship begins when we rightly realise who God is and that we cannot draw near that God is entirely set apart and not one to whom mere scant reference can be made. We would never think of turning up at the Prime Minister's residence and be allowed just to walk past the security officers to knock on his door and have him say, come in. It just doesn't work that way. So how is it that we think we can just knock on a holy God's door and expect him to come running and answer it? Your guilt and God's law tells you differently. But when you come to worship and you realise that you cannot approach God as you are, that's the beginning point to right worship. Another reason why God is to be worshipped is because God is lifted up. He is in his sanctuary. 
that is to say the heavenly sanctuary, his high place of residence, high lifted up and beyond all of us mere mortals who inhabit space and time. If you read through the Psalms, almost every one of them, you'll find this connection between the heavens and the God who lives in them. At times, the psalm writer tells us that the heavens declare the glory of God. At other times, that God's praise is to be exalted above the heavens. At other times, that the Lord is in the heavens and worthy of all praise. At other times, we read that all the heavens, including the starry host, also lead and join in the mighty chorus that the angel host above have begun. It's right then that when we come together, to remind ourselves that the main players in the arena of worship are not us. Worship's not about you or me. It's about God. And we don't have to, in any sense, make God acceptable or worthy. He is already, and if you're in Christ, then you've also been made acceptable to join in the praise. Worship of the Lord is not a favour we're doing for God. It's a privilege for us to approach a holy God who allows us to come in and come close. The third thing the psalmist has in mind here is what God has done. He says, praise him in his mighty heavens, praise him for his acts of power, praise him for his surpassing greatness. Up to this point in the history of the scriptures, God has already performed awesome acts of power. Psalm 106 reminds us of some of these powerful deeds how God was able to confound the sorcerers of Egypt by surpassing the miracles they were able to perform with even greater ones, how he rebuked the Red Sea and dried it up, how he led them through the depths as through a desert, how every day the Israelites witnessed the miracle of being led by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. When I was at university, I had a classmate who was looking at a comic book called Far Side, It's not hard to read them and laugh. As my classmate was looking through this book, another one said, Look at him. He's read through the whole book and he hasn't even cracked a smile. How can you read that book and not even crack a smile? The same question could be asked of us. How can we have read so much of what the Lord has done for us and not be moved? Sure, we've not seen the Red Sea parted nor anything like that, but instead... God has done greater things for us and in us and these ought to be on the tips of our tongues and the uppermost in our hearts. The miracles from above were evident to the Israelites almost every day of their existence, whether it was from the pillar of cloud leading them around or the manna that miraculously fed them every day. The psalmist shouldn't have had to even mention the works of God as reason to praise him, but he did. We do the same thing. Some Sundays we come feeling that we have no reason for praising God. And the scriptures say to us, take a look around. Look at the wonderful miracles that God has performed. They go beyond anything in this world. We cannot forget what God has done for us. We cannot forget the death and resurrection of our Saviour, what it means to be fed in the Lord's Supper, or the grace typified in the sign of baptism. How can we forget these things and turn up with cold hearts? I suggest the reason may be that during the week, these things are not uppermost in our hearts and minds. 
Well, secondly, we move on. The psalm tells us the how of praising God and in doing so provides us with a whole list of a variety of musical instruments to use, trumpets, harps, lyres, tambourines and flutes. In other words, with noise. C.S. Lewis said, noise, you may well say. Mere music is not enough. Let us have the clashing cymbals, not only well-tuned, but loud. When you look at these instruments, they touch on various aspects of the corporate life of Israel. For instance, the trumpet blast, the blowing of that curved horn that was used to announce the year of Jubilee is associated with great national occasions. On the other hand, the timbrel and the dance is associated with great and joyous victory occasions. And then the pipe, the flute, the lyre and the harp, these were instruments that would have been used by everyday people in Israel in the common situations of life. Maybe on a regular weekly basis to provide music for some party or gathering of people, weddings or other situations. But these instruments also tell of the situation and events of life in Israel and point to this great fact. that We need to praise God with everything we have. We need to throw in the kitchen sink to praise him with everything we have. An example of this is found in the moment that David brought back the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. According to 1 Chronicles 15, it happened with shouts, the sounding of ram's horns and trumpets and of cymbals and the playing of lyres and harps. No mention of organs or guitars or drums, but that's missing the point entirely and not what the psalmist is trying to say. The musical instruments listed are not meant to be taken as a divinely approved list but just a selection of instruments that were common at the time. One commentator suggests that were all these instruments to be played at the same time, the result would not be a melodious harmonic sound that we all appreciate, but rather a cacophony of noise that was intended to call people to attention rather than be attractive to their ear. So as for those who want to take up the debate whether a God approves of one instrument over another, they'd best find another text, for it's not here. This doesn't mean, of course, that worship can therefore be a free-for-all as if anything goes and everything's acceptable. You would all know that the worship of the heathen gods in the scriptures involved practices that God clearly said no to. And as much as the Bible tells us how God does not want to be worshipped, he's also told us how he does want to be worshipped. And this surely is and has to be the driving force behind all we do, lest we stray. So what does this mean for us? Again, let's think about Matthew Henry, who says the best music in God's ears is not a melodious string, but a melodious heart. And then he tells us the best instruments we could possibly employ for God's honour. Praise God with a strong faith. Praise God with holy love and delight. Praise him with entire confidence in Christ. Praise him with a believing triumph over the powers of darkness. Praise him by promoting the interest of the kingdom of his grace. Praise him by a lively hope and expectation of the kingdom of his glory. What is his point? That what we offer from our hearts is far more important and of far more worth to God than what is offered by guitar or harp or organ or lyre 
or trumpet or drum. Thirdly, the psalm tells us the who of praising God. Just who should take part in the praise of the Lord? The psalm writer calls for everything that has breath to praise the Lord. The worship of God is for every living being, every creature, everything that has breath. You don't have to know how to play the lyre or the guitar or the trumpet to praise God. You don't have to have the voice of an angel. All the scriptures ask you is, do you have breath? Are you alive? Then this is for you. And when we do this, we join every created thing that also worships him. How extensive is that list? Revelation 5.13 says, Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honour and glory and power for ever and ever. Psalm 148 says, Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures and all ocean depths, lightning and hail, snow and clouds, stormy winds that do his bidding, you mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, wild animals and all cattle, cattle, small creatures and flying birds, kings of the earth and all nations, you princes and all rulers of the earth. So there is a sense in which the magpie's early morning call is a summons to praise, just as much as the thunder from a storm or the roar of the ocean wave. In fact, as we hear the sound of all these things, they are in effect calling us, bidding us, urging us, we who have speech, to praise our God. For God has ordained praise for himself, even from the lips of children and babes, as Psalm 8 tells us. So who are we to keep back from bringing God what is due to him? For surely not to praise God, as we ought, is as much a sin as grumbling against him when we ought not. And so this psalm finishes, and in doing so finishes the whole book of the psalms on this note, that the whole world ought to praise the Lord. And in doing so, perhaps it foreshadows what the New Testament speaks of, how the gospel is to be preached to every nation, and how at the throne of heaven will be people of every tribe, language and nation there in worship before the Lamb. And the psalm finishes as it does with, Let everything that has breath praise the Lord, because we were made to praise him. The oldest lie ever told to the human race was told by the serpent to Eve and Adam. And what he told to Eve and to Adam was that God was not worth living for, that God is not worthy of your obedience. And so the Psalter says, how is it that you begin to live life, the blessed, the happy life? You begin, someone, by being devoted to, by delighting in God's word, you start listening to God's word, not the lie of the serpent. And how is it that you end life? With a confession that you ought to worship God and with the activity of worshipping God, declaring that he is worth living for, that he is worthy of our praise, that there is no satisfaction, no joy, no treasure, no delight, no fulfilment outside of him, greater than him, that he is what we were made for. We were made for his praise. Did you know 
that there are three words that have the same meaning in every language across the world. One is Coca-Cola. One is Amen. The other is Hallelujah, which is Hebrew of praise the Lord. See, putting your right arm or left arm in and shaking it all about is not what it's all about. The meaning of life is so much more complex than that. And one of the keys to understanding it is found on reflecting upon the fact that what those who are in heaven right now are doing is something we ought to be thoroughly acquainted with. And that ought to motivate us to be doing what we can now here before we join them there. And if hallelujah is the word often used there, then so let us be among those who echo it often here. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Now that's what it's all about. Will you join me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we lift up our voices to you. We who have voices, who can speak in an intelligible language, we bring thanks and praise to you. We bring thanks because of what you have done for us. We bring thanks before that because of who you are, because of your greatness and your might and your glory. Forgive us that our mouths are so often locked, our tongues are mute and dumb. And it's because our hearts are not filled with the wonder of your glory. So enable us, equip us, open our hearts, that from within might come glorious things spoken of you, our great God, our loving Heavenly Father. We bring you glory, we bring you praise, and we do this in the name of our wonderful Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.